0: Hello again, welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. Today,
1: when we look at a passage like this where the vulnerable, the young children, the elderly, the sick, the feeble are crying out to the the able-bodied people who they were looking to for protection, for provision. What's happened? Why are we like this? Where are we going to get food and drink? How are our needs going to be met? Who's going to look after us? What a society that would treat the weak and the vulnerable, the youngest of children, the the most frail of the elderly, as if they were nothing to be cared for. What a horrible society that would be.
0: Have you noticed what happens when leaders in any organisation stop behaving as good leaders and start to be people-pleasers? Oh, there is nothing more destructive than people-pleasing leadership. What happens to our moral climate when our leaders are not God-honouring but people-pleasing? Tonight, Dr Corbett is again in Lamentations. What they said they saw, they didn't see coming.
1: Father, your word speaks at any time. Any people in any place, and today, Lord, I pray that you would take your word and you would speak to us now in this place. Help us to leave here having heard your voice, being stirred by your spirit. Father, as this word is proclaimed, I pray that you would confirm it with signs and wonders. For those people who've come with doubt, perhaps even cynicism. We welcome them but I pray Lord that in this time together you would speak to them only things that they and you know about. That Lord they would hear and they would wonder. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lamentations chapter 2. It's not the most popular text for, for preachers for sure. It's certainly probably not the most popular text for people to just read. But it's in the Bible and it's an important part of the text. God sets scripture up by giving pictures that define terms. In Lamentations we've already seen that in the opening chapter we have a picture of Christ in chapter 1 verses 12 uh, where it talks about shame. And so when Scripture talks about Christ bearing our guilt and shame, it's something like Lamentations that helps us to understand what it means. It paints a fuller picture for us. And when we look at something like Lamentations, it's easy, I think, to miss the big picture. And the big picture is this. This is written by Jeremiah. So Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. And in this this poem, which it is, it's one poem. It's five chapters long. Every chapter or stanza of the poem is written with the first uh, uh, sequential. It's called an acrostic. It's written with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, and then the next verse goes on all the way through to the twenty-second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter three is different because it does it does that in the middle, and it does it three times. Chapter three, it repeats each letter of the Hebrew alphabet three times to begin the verse. It's pretty amazing. So this is one poem. But what you read in this poem, the big picture is this. Here is a man who deeply cared for his city. And this city represents the nation. In in the same way that we expect our national leader, our prime minister, to represent Australia abroad, this city represents the entire nation of Israel. So when we read in, in this, this poem just how devastated Jeremiah was at what has just happened and what has just happened as you can see perhaps in the background picture Jerusalem is in ruins it has been utterly destroyed and this was a shock it was a shock because Jeremiah from a very young age had been prophesying this and we're going to see why this is important he'd been prophesying this that it would happen, and he was mocked, ridiculed, scoffed at. At one point, he was threatened with imprisonment if he didn't shut up. He didn't shut up, so he was imprisoned. He had at least two episodes of imprisonment, and he stuck to his guns. He maintained the word that he had given from the outset. So Jeremiah is now looking at the fulfillment of that word, and he is devastated he is gutted and we're going to see someone putting it all out there this man is going to take you into the inner recesses of his heart so this is lamentations this is why I think it's important to understand this so that when we read in Matthew 23 for example Christ standing on the mountain overlooking the mountain where Jerusalem was and he it sounds very flowery in English where he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've. W-. You could imagine some Shakespearean actor doing it. But if you could have been there, I'm wondering if what we would have seen was Christ weeping, heaving, and feeling deep emotion as he said it. The, 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 the depth to which Christ was moved over the spiritual condition of the people who were rejecting him. I think is foreshadowed in lamentations. So these, these are some of the reasons why this is important. As we saw from the news, this message is taken from two verses in chapter two. We're going to be looking at quite a quite a first few verses of chapter two. What they said they saw they didn't see coming, and we're going to look at. We're going to look at, firstly at the purpose that God had for Jerusalem. And what was that purpose? Well, we read in Isaiah, who reminds them of their purpose. In other words, they must have have known it from the outset, that they were called to be a light to the world, a light to the nations. Somewhere along the line, they forgot that. They forgot their purpose. This is important for us, I think, as a church to realise that Christ has reinstituted that call for the church. We are meant to be a light to this world. We are meant to be a light to this world. So that's the first thing. We read in Isaiah that it says this, I am the Lord, I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. So this was Jerusalem's original call, to be a light to the nations. And as I said, the the connection here is that the church is also meant to be a light to our world. And I want to bring this, when we, when we finish in about 20 minutes, I want to bring this to a very, very practical, I don't want anyone wondering, hmm, I wonder what he wants me to do. I wonder what he's urging or encouraging us to do. If, if anyone has to ask, I have failed this morning. Jerusalem's leaders were, were called to lead, give spiritual leadership. And these people constituted the kings, the royalty, the kings and his princes, his children, the priests and the prophets. And each of them get a mention in chapter 2. And not a favourable mention. It's Jeremiah. And, if you, and as I've said many times, if you smell the pages, I was actually I was in the plane with my Bible open on my lap and I forgot because I... I I love pens i really i, I love pens and I, and I forgot I had a, a a a modern fountain pen do you know what do you know what altitude air pressure and fountain pens you know that can, it looks like this blotches on your Bible and the thing goes and that 's what happened on my bible um, and it has happened before, so you reckon I would have learnt but I forgot anyway I digress i was I was immersed in Lamentations chapter 2 at about 30,000 feet a couple of weeks ago as so I was just looking through this. And, and we see here that this is tear-stained. This is Jeremiah, not, not with an I told you so, now come and thank me, now tell me how good a prophet I am. He's not doing any of that. He, he is so bitterly gutted and disappointed at these three categories of leaders that they didn't do their job. Today, where would we sort of put these people? Well, I think we would, we would put sort of kings would be the political leaders. Priests would be perhaps those in my profession we might call clergy. Uh, the prophets, well, I, I hope this is that we're all called to be a prophetic people. I hope that we can all do that. And, and, and I want to show you that when, when they stopped doing what God had called them to do, and let's have a look at one of the verses here. In this is Lamentations chapter two, verse six. He has laid waste his booth, or a booth being a, a, a dwelling, like a garden, laid in ruins, his meeting place, so obviously talking about the temple. The Lord has made Zion, which is where Jerusalem was, Mount Zion, forget festival and sabbath, and his fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. So why would God spurn king and priest? After all he ordained them, because they didn't do what he called them to do. So if we've got this attitude that all religions lead to God, that God is an automatically forgiving God, then verses like this should should put a bit of a chill down your spine. Because it tells us that the God we worship, the God who created heaven and earth, is sometimes extremely upset to the point where he will spurn people who have intentionally, deliberately shaken their fist at him and told him to get lost. God is not impressed. So these people were spurned in what's described as his fierce indignation. Fierce indignation. Whatever that is, it doesn't sound Pleasant. It doesn't sound pleasant. So these people are the, the kings, the, the priests, and the prophets. These are the people who were supposed to uh, be representing God, and they, they didn't. Alright, let's have a look at verse 7. The Lord has scorned his altar disowned his sanctuary he has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces they raised a clamor in the house of the Lord and uh, as on the day of the festival now what Jeremiah is going to do as we go through this is going to target really identify these three categories of of leaders that didn't do what they should have done. Let's have a think about the prophet for a moment. What, it, we, we just read um, verse 9. It, it says this, Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. The law is no more. Her prophets find no vision from the Lord. No vision from the Lord. So what they said they saw, they didn't see coming. This is where we're getting it from, verse 9. So these prophets were meant to see things, in a sense, from God and declare it to people so that they could be guarded, protected and kept safe. But these prophets hadn't done it. They hadn't done it. So it put the people in jeopardy. And here's what we observe through the book of Jeremiah, through any other book of the Bible, and particularly here in Lamentations. There is a huge problem with most people. There is a huge problem with most people, and it is this. Most people try to please most people. And that's a problem. Why is it a problem? Because it will lead to pleasing people... Rather than God. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul says this the gospel of Jesus Christ does not please men, but it does please God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says a very similar thing. He says, I can either choose to live in a way that pleases people, or I can live in a way that pleases God, and I've chosen to live in a way that pleases God. And church, can I tell you, we face a similar dilemma. We can either please the crowd, please people, or we can please God. And it may be possible to do both, but it's highly unlikely that we can. So which one are we going to choose? Which one are we going to choose? If it comes down to dealing with what we might call controversial issues, do we want to tackle it knowing that it may upset some people, or do we want to perhaps deal with it because God is very clear about it in his word? I think you know the answer to where I land on this. So here's Jeremiah lamenting that the kings didn't do their job, those in government. The priests didn't do their job, those who are clergy, supposed to do their job. And the prophets, those who were supposed to declare the word, they didn't do their job either. And the problem with most people, as we read in Scripture, they are like sheep. They go where all the other sheep go. <laughs> they need leadership. Now, not please, I know some people have this concept of leadership being a sense in which uh, someone tells you what to do. It's not that kind of leadership. That's not what I'm talking about. And this is why God is called these people to lead Okay. when God's leaders, the kings, the priests and the prophets stopped leading, what happened? when they stopped leading, they became more concerned with people than God. Remember when King Saul had been told by the prophet Samuel to carry out the the wiping out of the Amalekites. And I know that some people have all sorts of issues with Old Testament prescriptions for that kind of thing. It didn't happen very often, by the way. But Saul didn't do it. And if you remember what happened when Samuel came to him and said, why haven't you carried out the word of the Lord? Saul said this, I feared the people. And Saul was, sorry, Samuel was really ticked with King Saul because of that. In fact, that was the moment King Saul lost the right to be king. And Samuel says, God will raise up someone who, who has a heart after his heart. So it's really important that we as a church settle this right now. Who do we want to please? Do we want to please God in the possibility it may upset Others, Or do we just want to play it safe and please people in a way that will upset God, which could jeopardise our eternity? <laughs> if you put it like that, it sounds pretty clear. But when you're actually out in the workplace on a Monday morning, it doesn't, it doesn't sound as clear as that. It actually, I understand it looks quite different. Prophets were called to declare God's word. That was half of their role. The other half of their role was to intercede for people, to pray for people. That was the other half of their role. And because they didn't do it, Jerusalem went further and further and further away from God. Let's read verse 10. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads. They put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. Verse 11. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. Verse 12. They cry to their mothers, this is the babies, the infants, the vulnerable, where is bread and wine as they faint like a wounded man in the streets, in the streets of the city as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. Verse 13. What can I say for, uh, for, uh, for you to what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken you to that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? And verse 14. Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. So prophecies... Used to be called oracles. All who pass along, verse 15, clap their hands at you, they hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? Down to verse 17. The Lord has done what he purposed, he has carried out, if you're reading along with me, what's the next word? His word. And that's how you tell. That's how you tell. That's how you tell whether someone is a true prophet or a false prophet. The false prophet is prophesying something that does not agree with God's word. So, today, when we look at a passage like this where the vulnerable, the young children, the elderly, the sick, the feeble are crying out to the the able-bodied people who they were looking to for protection, for provision. What's happened? Why are we like this? Where are we going to get food and drink? How are our needs going to be met? Who's going to look after us? What a society that would treat the weak and the vulnerable, the youngest of children, the, the most frail of the elderly, as if they were nothing to be cared for. What a horrible society that would be. And this is what we read in Lamentations 2. Don't you agree? This would be horrible if human life was was simply reduced to what value you could give a a society economically. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? But don't we live in that now? Where people talk in terms of this elderly, frail person who needs whatever operation is taking up a hospital bed... That someone else could use. Don't we talk in terms of the young pregnant girl who's about to have a baby and we say we give economic reasons how is she going to be able to afford to support this child as if this child is simply an economic drain. She should therefore whatever the fancy words are for infanticide and we live in that day now how did we get here And I wonder if we can say, we, the people of God, have taken a back step, a back seat. We haven't been like Jeremiah all the time. And here's, I think, the application. And I've said to you many times, as we've mapped out the Jeremiah series, and, and, and this is mapped out months and months ahead, that this would be sort of preached today and this Wednesday our state parliament is debating again doctor-assisted suicide which sends a message to those who are most vulnerable in our society that you're taking up a hospital bed that if you're feeling depressed and you really want to take your life go for it we don't... We just out of the way it it sends it sends a message that there is no meaning in frailty or suffering it sends a really bad message about what it means to be human that we're just meat from the top down we're just a bunch of cells And you know that's not what it means to be human As human beings, we're created in the image of God. We're more than just our carbon cells. We're more than just skin and bone and organs. (laughs) We're a soul that's indivisible. We're a soul that's, in one sense, immutable and immortal. Our soul will live on beyond our body. As C.S. Lewis said, you are not a body with a soul. You are a soul with a body. To think that human life is so expendable you can treat it as if it's worth no more than a dog to be put down is a disgrace. Jeremiah lived through it. He saw it. And we're living in that today. Church, can we care enough? Can we sit at the gate, as I mentioned last week, the gates of the city where the elders would sit and convene and Protect the city, not militarily, but protect its moral fabric. And one of the things that Jeremiah talks about is, is that the elders had abandoned the gate. They were no longer sitting in the gate. I've heard from a couple of politicians that the amount of correspondence they've had from people objecting to euthanasia is almost negligible. Nearly all of the traffic, all of the emails, all of the letters have come in in favour of it. HOFM and Hobart are waging a campaign. Telling the stories of people who should be allowed to have a doctor take their life. And so the other side of the story is just not being heard, not being told at all. What are we going to do about it? Today, tomorrow, what are we going to do about it? If you want to know what to do about it, have a look on our Facebook page. There's a link there where you can get some information and write to your local member. I think this is important. I think it's important. Let's come down to verse 18. Chapter 2. Their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, Your eyes, no respite. This is the text that I used last week, verse 19. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watch, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to Him for the lives of your children, the lives of the vulnerable who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Church, it's my hope. That we will not only be God-honouring, but in order to be God-honouring, we have to be word-honouring, Bible-honouring. In order to be Bible-honouring, word-honouring people, we, have, we, we can't not care for our society. We can't not care for people around us. So here's my challenge. Why did Jeremiah care so much? Because God cared so much. Why was Jeremiah moved to tears when people took their young newborn babies and threw them into furnaces in the false belief that they were sacrificing them to some God? Because it broke God's heart. And because Jeremiah's heart had come so close to God, he felt the heart of God. Church, as we worship this morning, and as powerfully reminded us, we sang that song, Break my heart for what breaks yours. Be careful what you sing. Because they're prayers. Be careful what you pray because God may actually answer that prayer. You may actually feel the responsibility. Not just for you and your four and no more. But for the whole of our community. Church. Let's have a big heart. A heart that is broken. A heart that is poured out to God in prayer as we seek to reach people. Reese is also right. This building's not because we've got lots of money. I told you three weeks ago, we ran out of money. This is truly by faith. And you've heard of some of the miracles we've had along the way. But you know what? It's only a place where we can see people who are hurting, damaged, broken, the vulnerable, come and find a safe place and hear about a God who loves them and really does have an eternally good plan for their life. Let's pray. Father, there are those listening to me right now who have never surrendered their life to Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would take their heart and make it yours. I pray, Father, for those that have done things that has broken your heart, that now, Lord, they would experience your forgiveness as they cry out to you, God, forgive me. Father, I pray that there would be people here today who would leave this place changed and different. I pray, O oh God, that you would help us as a church to care for the weak, the vulnerable, the frail, the elderly, the sick, and the not yet born. Help us, Father, to have compassion on the single mom. Help us to have compassion on the elderly shut in. Help us to have compassion on those who are in nursing homes, hospice care, wherever they might be. Help us, Father, to have a heart that's enlarged to care. And Father, I pray for us as a church that as we go through our week this week, people would see the difference in us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Well, I do hope that you send an email. Send a letter. Email's easy. Send it off to your parliamentarian. Let them know life matters. This is important.
0: How well are we caring? Are our leaders God honouring? The moral climate of our society is perhaps a marker. More from Dr Corbett in Lamentations next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, What They Said They Saw They Didn't See Coming, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash Finding Truth Matters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.